How many of you guys are hungry for the scriptures, the word of God? Anybody? <laughs> you know, if Martin Luther was here today, he would say this is the whole point of our gathering is to hear the word of God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it divides between thoughts and intents of the heart. It is literally power from God. When we receive the word of God, it is life installed on the inside of us. So I just want to encourage you today with, with these words. With humility, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. As we humble ourselves and hear, it's like a seed that enters in and then produces fruit in our lives. So today, I, I want to encourage us with a, a couple of things. Specifically, I want to promote unity in our midst. So many people here have different ministries and there's different giftings and different streams and callings and all kinds of, but all in one place. And I really want to focus on unity. Not by promoting our, our identity, not by trying to remind us of nation's purpose, not by trying to rally around a cause or even rally around souls. I want to promote unity by exalting the humility of Jesus Christ. This is, this is number one for us in our Christian lives is Jesus is humble. And I come to you today not to speak to you as a doctor. I come to you as a fellow patient to tell you of this man who is the only doctor there is, Jesus. So Jackie, you can, you can rest. If you want to turn in your Bible to James chapter 4, this is going to be our text from which we jump off from. The scripture tells us in James, Jacob chapter 4, verse 6, it says, He, which is God, gives a greater grace. I want you to say this with me. Say greater grace. This is showing us that grace can increase in your life. And this greater grace comes in a certain way. He goes on here. In, ch in chapter 4, verse 6, greater grace. Therefore, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, humility is the message I have for us today. And this is the most difficult subject for me because I know far more about pride than I do humility. <laughs> but we see here in the scriptures that there's greater grace for us. And that grace is found by humility. And that pride is resisted by God. And the context is saying that the resisting is the resisting of the flow of grace. How many of you know you need grace in your life? You know, grace is the reason why you love Jesus. And not just because he had grace on you, but because the power of grace enables you to love him. Grace is your desire for the word of God, your desire to worship. This is all the work of grace in your life. Grace works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You need grace. I need grace. It's fuel in the gas tank. And the only way for it to flow in freely is humility. 
And the opposite is true. When pride comes in, the flowing of grace begins to wane and you begin to see it in your desire for the word, your desire to to do the things that God has called you to do. You begin to see your desire for prayer is different. It's, It's waning. The way that you see other people begins to change. Your ability to to Put someone above yourself begins to wane because that's what it looks like when pride restrains the flow of grace. So we have to hate pride. The scriptures tell us in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is this, to hate pride, arrogance, in every evil way. Do you see three things there? Pride, arrogance, every evil way. These evil ways are connected to arrogance and connected to pride. And we are called by the scriptures to despise this, to hate it, to literally find it as a stench. Hate it. It's disgusting to God. And we find this portion in our hearts every now and then and when we find it we throw it down at the feet of Jesus and say Lord that's garbage to me I got to give that up I throw it down to the side because Lord I can't fight Satan with Satan (laughs) see the definition of the fear of the Lord is that it's hating pride You know, it's interesting in Ezekiel chapter 28, you guys have read this before, there's a prophecy and inside the prophecy, there's a picture that shows us something that happened before the world began and it is Lucifer walking upon the stones of fire in the presence of God. Lucifer walking on the stones of fire in the presence of God, yet pride rose up in his heart. It shows me that pride can freeze a heart even if it walks on the stones of fire. We see that also paradise, the Garden of Eden, it's absolute paradise, men walking with God, and right there in the midst of the garden, there's the slither of the snake of pride. So you can be living in the presence of God, living in a movement of God, and yet still the snake is there slithering. Even in the midst of the outpourings of God and the power of God moving in the midst, there your heart can be stone cold with self-exaltation. The scriptures are showing us certain things. Let me just show you this one. In Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah hammers pride. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 12 first. We'll look at this. The scripture says, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and everyone who is lifted up. Do you see this day of reckoning that's coming? There's one thing being shot at. By God, it's pride. Look at verse 17. The pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of man will be abased and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. I'm I'm showing this to show that the prophets reveal God's main issue with the earth is pride. God's main issue with humanity is pride. Pride provokes God. Pride makes man God's enemy. Pride is selfishness, self-sufficiency, self-effort, self-centeredness, and self-exaltation. Pride is literally self-consciousness. Vance Havner wrote many years ago, if Jesus didn't come to save us from self-infatuation, I don't know what he came to do. 
Andrew Murray writes, one of the reasons Jesus was sent to the earth was to bring humility back here. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, in the King James Version of the Bible, it says these words that I think needs to be tattooed on my heart. And it says, Behold, thy king cometh meek. Behold, thy king cometh meek. Praise God. Behold means take special notice of this. What? Your king. And how does he show up? Meekness. Meekness. It marks the arrival of Christ. It doesn't say, behold, thy king cometh powerful. Is he powerful? Yes, but that's not what he's trying to emphasize. It doesn't say thy king cometh gifted. He is extremely gifted. He's God. But that's not what he wants to emphasize. Thy king cometh meek. It doesn't say he comes wise. It doesn't say that he comes with great pomp or the company of Solomon. He comes in meekness and in humility. This is the arrival of our king. And I want to reach out to you as I reach out to myself. And I want to say, we are not above our master, are we? We need humility, even as Russ was talking about last week with the cloak that he puts on, putting on humility. This is the key for our unity. Again, it's not about knowing our identity per se. It's not about knowing nation's purposes. It's not about grabbing a hold of the cause or even souls. It's about seeing what Jesus is like. That's what causes humility. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we have the only self-description of Jesus in the entire Bible. And you remember what he says? He says, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus could have stood up and said any attribute because he's got them all perfectly. But he says, this is the one I want you to see, that I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. All these attributes he has, but this is what he wants us to see. He forever settles the understanding of what he's like by self-describing himself. I am humble. It's a stone that cannot be moved. Jesus has established this. So this self-description we know now can be connected to God's purpose for us revealed in Romans 8, 29. Many of you have read this scripture. It says that he predestined you and me to be conformed to the image of the Son. What is the image of the Son? Well, according to the Son, it is humility. If God has any goal in your life and in my life, he means to make us humble. He means to make us beneath him in such a way that we recognize his greatness. We recognize our insufficiency and we look to him. He, above all other things, desires to make us humble. If you look at Matthew chapter 20, you begin to see Jesus talking about picking up this cross and they want this exaltation. And Jesus is saying, listen, the slave will be the greatest. And this mentality that Jesus has is so upside down. It's like completely opposed to human nature. Jesus says the slave, he's the greatest. Our mentality doesn't even get that. What Jesus is trying to say is that these little self-denials that no one sees are the fragrance of the cross. These are the seeds of the garden of godliness. Yeah. See, our, our, our ministry behind a pulpit doesn't tell you if a person's humble. Leading a Bible study doesn't tell you if a person is humble. 
Laying hands on someone and them falling down doesn't tell you if a person's humble. Healing the sick doesn't tell you if a person's humble. You've got to see it in their life and how they treat other people. And that's what God is looking at. So the scriptures tell us in James chapter 4, verse 10, it says that we should humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. And in this phrase, I find the secret of humility. It is this, humbling ourselves in the sight of, in the presence of the Lord. It is in seeing God as wonderful and magnificent and glorious as he is that causes us to say, whoa, I'm nothing compared to him. My plans are nothing compared to his. My wisdom is nothing compared to his. My power is nothing compared to his. That's humility. And that's how we humble ourselves. As Charles Spurgeon perfectly stated, he said, a vision of God is the quietus of pride. In other words, it's, just a, it's chopping the head off of pride. It's the end. It's a, the finishing stroke. To see God as who he is causes a man to recognize he's nothing. Any man who thinks himself something has never seen God. So we see this. Humility is not just one of the virtues. It is literally the source and spring of all the virtues. From this come all the things, love and peace and joy and patience and goodness. They all flow forth from this source, humbling ourselves by seeing God as who he is. Without humility, all of our gifts are hollow. It was St. John Vianney who said this quote. He said, without humility, you only have the appearance of virtues. Humility is literally the, the root of what God is looking for. Without humility, our ministries become quests for our own honor and our own legacy. A.W. Tozer wrote it like this, promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is so common that it excites little notice these days. What are you trying to say, Eric? I'm trying to say that our humility is what God is looking at and wanting to produce in us. Man, you can have all your ducks in a row. You miss humility. You have no legs to stand on. Before God, that is. You may be able to show yourself mighty in front of people and get a lot of respect from people, but with God, that's really all that matters. Leonard Ravenhill said, what does it matter if you have the smile of men, but you have the frown of God? What does it matter if you have the, the, the frown of, of men, if you have the smile of God? So why, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, Humility is the way we're going to get along here. Humility is how we're going to work together here. Humility is how we're going to become an army that is side by side, arm in arm, shield by shield. That's it. I mean, think of an army that is trying to come together, and there's one guy that's like, nah, I'm good. And he wants to be by himself with his shield while they've got a wall of shields. Who's going to die first? This guy that ran away. It's coming together that brings the strength Charles Spurgeon said, when love goes, your unity snaps. And you can say that with humility. Once humility is gone, unity is snapped. He also goes on and he says this incredible statement. He says that if we have not love in our midst, which is the spring of humility, if we have not love in our midst, then we break our own spears and cut our own bows. We can't fight, we can't fight without this. 
We, we look at and learn what humility is in the man Christ Jesus. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, the son can do nothing. The son can do nothing in himself. The son can do, he realizes his inability before God. 5.30, John 5.30, he says, I do nothing. It's a resolve. I will not act according to my own. I will put everything underneath God. I'm not going to be independent from the Lord. John 7.16, Jesus even says, the words that I'm speaking to you, they don't even belong to me. He has no ownership over the things that he's saying. They're, they belong to God. Jesus goes on at 8.28, he says, I do nothing on my own initiative. In 8.50, he says, I do not seek my own glory. Is there any man on the planet that deserves to seek their own glory? It's Jesus, but he still doesn't. Oh, how high we put ourselves above Christ when we seek our own glory. Jesus says, I will not seek my own glory. So Jesus teaches us that the most influential in spiritual life is one of absolute self-renunciation and total reliance upon God. This is humility. The desire for God's glory is all that mattered to Jesus, and that's the definition of hating pride. That's the definition of humility. So I fear that more often than not, our striving is restlessness. Our striving is a restless eagerness to obtain spiritual things by our own power instead of recognizing how they come by grace which comes through humility. I fear that, that the divisions, the little divisions in our midst are all silent acts of self-deification. Silent acts of self-deification. See, self can never cast out self. But only if a man relinquishes all to God, then God can be all in the man. Isn't that what, we, what we're desiring here? C.S. Lewis once wrote, a proud man is always looking down on others. And if you're always looking down, you cannot see him who's above you. And I would say the inverse is true. When you're looking up to him who's above you, you can't look down on other people. This is humility. Humility shows itself in love and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It means seeking the edification and the building up of another person. It's looking at a person that is in your life or in your circle that works together with you or anything and say, how can I best benefit you? What can I do to make you better? I'm telling you, you'll find more joy there than in saying, how can you serve me? Matter of fact, the moment you begin to try to suck something out of a person, you suck joy out of yourself. But the moment that you try to give to someone else, Jesus even tells you it's more blessed to give than even to receive. In other words, it's, it's better to even try to edify somebody else than to be edified by somebody. <laughs> Praise God. Pride manifests itself in touchiness and, and harshness and impatience and control and imita uh, irritations and, and judgment and being cynical and competition and comparison and jealousy and, and bitterness and a demand for honor. A separation of ourselves as some higher class of believer or some, quote, super apostle. This is what pride looks like. Again, I'm telling you, I'm not talking to you as a doctor today. I'm talking to you as a fellow patient that the doctor, physician, Jesus Christ would do surgery on us today and take us lower in humility. These are the evidences of being self-exalting, all of these things I just read. The neglect of God is literally just tending to yourself. 
I'm going to tell you a quote that I try to live by. I've failed many times at it, but it's from Finn alone. He says, nothing is so imperfect than being impatient with the imperfections of others. Nothing is so imperfect than to be impatient with the imperfections of others. I'm calling us to humility today because I feel this is what God wants. There is no pride that's so dangerous, so subtle, and so insidious as that pride that believes God uses them because of something in them. You should use me. Look what I've done. (laughs) This slips in so quickly and so easily. We have to take caution and even professing to other the ex- others the extent of our, of our ambitions, the, the extent of our religious restrictions and the restraints that we put on our lives or how much we pray or, or how much we fast or how much we give. We have to be careful with these things because underneath them can be a desire to build up a monument unto ourselves and their minds. We gotta be careful even how we tell testimonies that they're for the glory of God and not for everyone to know that God uses me in this way. Do you understand? God, you say, Eric, why are you telling? Because God cares about this stuff. See, people don't care about this stuff. They actually like the other stuff. But what does God think? That's what really matters. That's what I care about. I know that's what you care about. St. Moses of Egypt blasts us, and he says this. He says, you fast, but the devil never eats. He says, you work hard, but the devil never sleeps. The only way for you to outwork the devil is humility because he has none. So, and even just to say one more on that, to just kind of poke, poke at that religious spirit, Charles Spurgeon said, some men fast from food and gorge on pride. <laughs> oh, this is, how, uh, this is how I see Jesus to be, someone who is completely and totally not about himself, completely and totally about other people. You see, sometimes we present ourselves as if we've gained such a great status. And if you're faithful and if you serve long enough, then you'll arrive at the place that I'm at. And this is pride. This is pride. This is not recognizing that God is so great that everybody is literally on the same level compared to him. As a matter of fact, one old Puritan used to say, "When when the chessboard is up, The queen is way more important than the pawn. But when the game is finished, they all go in the same bag. And and when when God shows up, the game's finished. You're all in the same bag. It doesn't matter who you are. Queen, pawn, nothing matters. God matters. So, So pride can hide inside of a tone the way you say something to somebody. Pride can hide in a way of speaking. Pride can be found in a subtle desire to counsel somebody to yourself so that they become dependent upon you instead of making them look to the only one who is the wonderful counselor. The one. See, we're only good to people to the degree we can bring them to the one who is good. (laughs) Praise God. Humility has given up all thought of self in the presence of God, I often tell myself that the greatest thing that I can do today is forget myself in adoring Jesus. I, I, I try to live this way. I don't do it very well, but I try it as much as I can to just recognize I need you, God, more than ever before. See, 
the soul that has truly lost itself in finding him no longer compares itself with other people. The soul that has lost itself in finding him no longer compares itself with other people. When you compare yourself with others, you are testifying that you have not found what you need in Jesus Christ. You are testifying that Christ does not satisfy the soul when you start comparing yourself with others because his presence frees you from the need to have all the recognitions of men because God is with you. You say, I need nothing. I need not the praise of man. I need not relevance in their eyes. I need not significance. I need you, Lord, and you alone. I remember reading Andrew Bonner's uh, biography in, in his journal. He was saying how all his friends were getting more preaching engagements than him. They were being invited all over, and he wasn't getting in any invitations, and he was down about this. And then he writes this phrase that I never forgot. I actually wrote it in my own heart. He says, I, I found that my uneasiness rose from my unwillingness to be nothing. I found that my unhappiness, my uneasiness, it rose from my unwillingness to be nothing. How often are we restless? How often do we become unhappy? All because we won't simply be content to just have God. And when I say just have God, I mean really have everything in one. God himself. See, it doesn't matter to someone who recognizes the presence of God, it doesn't matter if they're forgotten to them. It doesn't matter. They don't even recognize being forgotten because they're not even in the equation anymore because God has taken up all. See, God will pass over a, a million men just to get one humble man. I'm telling you, yes, like God will use gifted men, but his heart belongs to the humble. So, Last thing I'll say here, I've got four minutes. If Jackie could jump up here, that'd be great. You know, sometimes we say, how can I put someone above myself when I know I'm greater than them? I know I'm smarter than them. I know I'm more successful than them. I know I have more money than them. I know I have more experience than them. I know I'm more influential than them. How can I put them above myself? Well, I want to call your attention to Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus spends the night in prayer. And after spending the night in prayer, he, watch this, comes down, the Bible says. He comes down, and then he's with them on a level place. Three things are my conclusion. One, Jesus condescends. Who's wiser than Jesus? Nobody. Jesus is the most wise. He's the most wealthy. He's the most powerful. He's the most influential. Yet he comes down. He condescends. Not only does he condescend, but he condescends to be with them. In other words, he's not ashamed to be seen with them. And then he stands with them on a level place, which means he treats them as an equal. That's humility. You begin to see somebody who you feel like you're so much greater than them or you have so much more experience than them, you'll be most like Christ when you come down and you be right where they are and you meet them right where they are and you stare at them in a level place and you see them as an equal. As, as Andrew Murray said, you look at every believer as a child of the king. You say, Eric, what are you trying to say? Well, I just want to promote unity in our midst by magnifying the nature of Jesus Christ who humbles himself by dropping down out of heaven and doesn't regard equality with God a thing that can even be grasped though he be God 
And he humbles himself. He empties himself. And not only is he obedient, he's obedient to death. And not just obedient to death, but obedient to death on a shameful cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Praise God. So let's just do this. Can we all just stand up? Again, I did not come to talk to you as a doctor today, but as a fellow patient, looking at the perfections of Jesus. Just put your hand on your heart with me and say this. Say, Jesus, I come to you, and I realize in my heart there are many areas of pride. I acknowledge it, and I'm asking you to take it all away by a vision of your greatness, by a vision of your character. Show me yourself and eliminate these things contrary to you. Jesus' name, amen.